For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is this water called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those aluminum cans it comes in are recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities so they won't just end up in your local landfill like plastic bottles. Go get liquid death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find Liquid Death re- retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com front slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com front slash film study. Hi, folks. We're back for part two of the defense with our friend, at PFF Gordon, you know Miss Gordon McGinnis, at PFF underscore Gordon, got to get that right. Um, uh, Gordon McGinnis, uh, who is always a great football conversation. If you don't appreciate talking football with Gordon, either online or uh, when you, if you get an opportunity to talk to him in person, I, I don't know who you'd like talking football with because he's, he's definitely one of my favorites. How about, we talk much. Little, <laughs> how about we talk a little bit about the pass rush this time? Yeah, or, or lack thereof is probably the... <laughs> Yeah, not not a not a great game. Um, we talked about in the in part one a little bit about the holding um, and the lack of it. Some of that was certainly on the pass rush. We had some on the edge too in terms of of plays getting to the outside um, that 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 weren't called. But uh, 
overall, you know, the Ravens on the inside, on the interior, have been very up and down this year in terms of, of success. Yeah, I think you saw you know, um, Madubike in the opening game of the season was dominant. Last week, a little bit more up and down. I, I saw him flash one play this week and was like, mm-hmm. I think this guy might be the best player in defense this year. And then didn't really see him the rest of the game. Um, yeah. There wasn't really much there. And that's it. That's kind of been his career. And, and I said this to someone after week one. If you could get that player, or even 80% of that player, consistently, it's probably a top 10 to 12 defense, interior defensive lineman in the NFL. You don't get that, though. You get that game, and then you get some middling games, some poor games, and then later in the year we'll see that game again. And that's, you know... And that, th- those are the type of things that I think set the Ravens up for a decision whereby they're not going to be willing to spend money to keep someone because they can't get that consistency. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And my my central fear is Matabike, uh after next season, next season, this is his third year, right? Yeah, he's so, in, yep. in the Queen yep. draft. So uh, Matabike after after next season, goes to a team that really knows how to develop interior linemen and gets that next step, whether that's L.A. or wherever else. Imagine him like learning from Aaron Donald even for a year. I don't know if Aaron Donald will still be playing football at that point, but uh, it, that could make a lot of sense. Yeah, because the, there's a lot of times that the flashes you see out of Matabike remind me a little bit of a divisional rival in Geno Atkins. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of you know quick twitch that's able to cause some problems and uh, some nice power there as well. Yeah, definitely. Very extraordinarily well-built for alignment despite a lack of, of uh, tonnage, a lot of sand in the pants. But he's, but he's got extraordinarily thick and powerful core, and, uh, and you really see that on a lot of plays. Uh, he, he had a, a good good sack where he was held and he got to the quarterback anyway, so it didn't seem to bother him on that play, all the holding. But then he also had a great run play where uh, it was a little bit of a cleanup play, but it was still outstanding for him to get into the backfield. I thought Campbell was, was really good on the front end, front side of that play. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk a, bit, a little bit about the pass rush. Uh, as you guys know, I, I measure ample time and space, which is a three-second pocket, or it would have been a three-second pocket based on how I'm judging it at the time the ball's released. 17 out of 35. That is a very high number, 49% in this game for Mac Jones. So if you thought you saw him standing around the pocket contemplating making a sandwich for himself, you probably did. Yeah, I, that, it's it, it felt like something throughout the game whereby... And that that's where things get a little bit tough on the, you know, the second and third level of the defense. That if you can't get there and can't at least force the guy to start thinking about stuff and start moving around, that's when you know one or two coverage breaks happen, and that's all mm-hmm. that's all NFL offenses need at times. Yeah, and if you give a guy if you give them an NFL quarterback three seconds, even Mac Jones, who is you know not not the top ten of NFL quarterbacks right now. Uh, they will find that guy on your defense who has either blown his assignment or is not up to the athleticism necessary to cover his assignment. Um, and, and that's not obviously what the Ravens can, can live with. He went 13-17 on those 17 plays, 221 yards, so 13.0 yards per play with ample time and space. That's, that's a high number. It's not out of this world. I've seen higher, but it's, uh, it's still extremely good. Did have the interception by Bynes in the group. That was really the only blemish on that uh, on that route. I thought extremely good play by Bynes, and we realized just how little we see that for inside linebacker to have him making a play and knowing what's going on behind him in terms of where that route's run to converge to the proper spot. Yeah, I think he showed uh, he showed a bunch of smarts on that play. Um, just knowing knowing kind of where he could go and find that ball. 
Uh, okay, let's talk a little bit about some other things. They had they uh, by number of. I'm sorry. Look, oh, the ball out quick. Eight times, seven point one yards per play. They got pressure on thirty-one percent of the snaps. Eleven plays out of. 35. Does that match what PFF has more it's or less? Pr- pretty close. Yeah, I looked at it before and it was it was right around that number, I think. Mine should be a little bit higher because I use a three second standard. And, and also I, if the cone gets invaded, I, I calculate a little differently. But it's if it's still it's it's not a great number for a game. But I think they were at 25 percent last week. So I was not particularly happy about that. Uh, but they did have three sacks and two interceptions when they when they pressured the quarterback. So that's where they ended up getting down. A lot of that was late in the game. Uh, as uh, you guys probably had too. Um, by number, they rushed three or fewer one time. That was the zero-yard rush that went for 10 yards. Then this is really a, a, not a very varied pass rush. They rushed four on 24 plays, 214 yards, nine, 8.9 yards per play, uh, a sack, and three turnovers. So when you only rush four, I don't really expect the team to get to the quarterback. It's not. There's four-man rushes, and there's four-man rushes. Meaning you can you can do his own blitz and you can you can rush four. It could be you you can you can definitely put some hot sauce on that four man rush to to make it be more effective than a um, than just a plain vanilla four zero with nobody stunting or or nobody dropping. Um, but it's still that's a lot of times for the Ravens and you know being used to the Wink Martindale years and the Rex Ryan years in the distant past uh, to see the quarterback to be the Ravens so passive in terms of rushing. Yeah, yeah, and you know it's. It, it's the the difference from Wink Martindale, um, and I, I'll be honest. Unlike some people, I really didn't mind how much Wink Martindale blitzed, especially at times mm-hmm. where you know you're going up against quarterbacks that I think sometimes you're best just trying to create some big plays on your own um, rather than being than being picked apart. So it's interesting to see the the kind of difference in styles, despite the fact that uh, McDonald was here um, previously mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, so he certainly lived through the wink area. There's not even that much of a difference. Maybe you could give us the numbers as PFF has it for five plus versus four for the winks last year and McDonald this year. But I don't think the difference is even that great. I think they're both in the 30s. It may be like 31 and 36, but it's not like, you know, 25 and 50 or anything. Yeah. You know, it's (laughs) so uh, anyway, uh, again, I think I gave you that already. When they rushed five, 10 plays. Uh, 76 yards, so 7.6 yards per play, two sacks, one turnover. What I take from this, they never rushed six plus in this game. But, which was different from like the first couple of weeks, that was, you know, a, a little, again, not astronomical numbers, but what there was like, uh, I think we had it about 7, 8% week two and 15, 16 in week one, I think it was. Um, so, how many would that be total? Maybe uh, it was a lot of, it was a lot of plays, a lot of pass plays in the first two weeks of the season. Yeah. Okay. Maybe they maybe they had as many as ten. I didn't remember as many as ten, but maybe that's true. So, uh, uh, yeah, odd um, that they're that they're taking it so easy. But if I were to look at this and say, you know, what were they really trying to do? I think they basically thought that Mac Jones could not stand up to the Ravens secondary, and they were they were okay playing for unforced errors. Yeah, I, I, and I kind of said that earlier. I think they they played a lot of bend don't break like. How, how many times is Mac Jones going to go the full length of the field against us? Mm-hmm. Let's let's let him complete eight passes, and then you know hope that along the way we can get our hands on one of them, or along the way you know force a third down a third down in completion those things, um, and you know ultimately, as much as they still scored twenty six points, you know the defense in terms of what they asked it to do keep it keep it within keep them within bay um, 
you know, they kind of did the job in the end. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they, they got it done as well as could be hoped. Uh, some elements of deception, uh, 10 individual blitzes, meaning these are guys coming from at least 1.5 yards off the line of scrimmage and, and no closer than the slot corner spot. So they had 10 of those. Nine of those are inside linebackers. And I honestly feel like McDonald is at a point where he's like, I'm not wasting any of my coverage guys on blitzes. And he does. He still does it occasionally, but not like Wink did. And Wink had five defensive backs get sacks in the same game. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool, actually. <laughs> that was Marcus uh, Peters had a sack in that game, right? I'm sure that was the one he had uh, the sack. It, it, it might have been. I remember they, 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 they got, might have gotten Earl Thomas's first. Now it wasn't yeah, that maybe. year. It was the, they played Philadelphia. What year would that have been? To 2020, I think. Um, anyway, it was, a, it was an exciting game in terms of getting a lot of different people sacks in that game. You're probably right. It, was, it must have been Peters. Um, and uh, where was I on this? Oh, yeah. Uh, so nine of the ten blitzes came from inside linebacker. And since so Bynes and Queen, basically, a little bit of Harrison as well, um, we're, we're doing the blitzing on those plays from off ball. Uh, Demarion Williams was the only other guy, Pepe, who came in on one blitz. And, and it looked like pressure was developing from that side as he came. So it was a little bit unexpected. Uh, I still got the ball out uh, on that play. Uh, but uh, thoughts on inside linebackers, first of all, I, I, I being used to blitz. I think it's probably uh, Patrick Queen's best trait in the NFL. I, I think, and I, I, I do, I, I always feel bad being critical of him, but mm-hmm. I do think if you just let him play downfield, let him attack something, rather than let a play develop and he has to beat someone to you know get there or he has to match someone in coverage, if you just let him go, those are the plays whereby he looks like a first round pick. Just let him let him play forward. There, there might not be, you know, more than five or six better inside linebackers attacking, you know, on those types of plays. Um, and I think when you consider two things, that as a strength, and the weaknesses that he has in coverage at times, you know, it's obviously not something you can do every single play because then they're going to know that Patrick Queen's blitzing every single play. But it's something that I definitely think they're going to continue to have relatively high and highly involved. Okay, so two things about this. Let's talk about the play in particular where he got the sack. And it, it, great play by Queen. Speed of Queen helped make that play. The other thing he helped make that play was that twist. And he declared himself the line of scrimmage. This wasn't a blitz, but Hamilton uh, came through the left A gap, and both the running back and the left guard went after him, which created a opening for Queen to rush effectively unblocked to get the quarterback. Nothing wrong with that at all. Love that kind of of. Uh, you know, manufactured, schemed errors uh, for for opposing things. But this wasn't also a queen speed alone got the sack. Oh, we might have some problems here with Gordon. Sorry, Gordon, you still there? Yeah, still. Okay. Can you can you hear me okay now? I can, Just, I can uh, hear yeah. you okay. So we it's, might have uh, up there. Yeah, my uh, my reception's kind of coming and going, I think. All right. I'm sorry about that. So I was just mentioning that, that that Queen's speed wasn't really used on that sack, even though, you know, no problem with the play. Great play, got in there quickly, but it was it was a lot of the the, the twist from Hamilton to, to go through that A-gap that caused the unforced error by both the running back and the left guard, Cole Strange, going after him to to give Queen basically a clear path to the quarterback. 
yeah, sorry, my connection was kind of coming and going there, but yeah, um, I think that's I think you nailed it pretty much. I, I was getting the the gist of the the twist and uh, the impact on Cole Strange to to set Queen up there. Um, now here's the other thing about Queen's playing time. He sat down some snaps this week, and my first reaction is, you know, probably if we all hope that Patrick Queen comes back and plays well for the Ravens, at least for these next two years. It'd be great if Patrick Queen could suddenly be the player that the Ravens can't afford not to give a fifth-year option to at the end of this year. It may be unrealistic, but it's but it's it's we would love to have that be the case. We're not, we're, you've been critical. I've been critical of Patrick Queen. Neither of us is, is saying that we wouldn't love for Patrick Queen to suddenly you know, turn it on and find another gear. Yeah, I just it's one of those things whereby, you know, I think at this point in his career, it might it might be who he is, um, you know, and that's you you can and at that point the Ravens have a choice. It's mm-hmm. do you set him down more or do you play his strengths as best you can? And you know we we saw it uh, last year I think when they reduced his snaps could be really effective in different roles. So I I definitely think there's a role for him to be effective in this defense. Where it gets a little bit more difficult is the longevity of that role. I think. So here's the question. How do you change Patrick Queen's role, and 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 could you get a? I don't want to I don't want to just say this directly, but could could you get a benefit from layering different responsibilities on, so he can learn to do those better? And if if you did take away snaps, where would you start taking away his snaps? Yeah, and I think that's where it's a little bit difficult as well because if you're taking away the snaps, you're having to give the snaps to someone else, mm-hmm. and who who do they have on that defense that can take those? responsibilities <laughs> well I, I i mean i have the my thoughts going into the season was they were so weak in terms of coverage at inside linebacker the obvious choice was to use a fourth safety there and and, and they, the ravens have played a lot of quarter in their history when ray lewis was a rookie he came off the field on third down so benny thompson it was a special teams ace on that team uh could go in and play third down snaps they played it 116 times they played quarter that year it's not unreasonable that they could do something about that. They have four talented safeties. I mean, Geno Stone's way too good not to be getting playing time right now. He's, you know, he's played only a few snaps this season. Still having some problems, aren't you, with reception? All right, we'll keep going. But anyway, uh, so that's one of the issues is, is that I think they do have an answer with, with Geno Stone being the seventh. Uh, a player that could replace, you know, you could have both of your inside linebackers out on those plays. Uh, and, and the Ravens seem committed to playing Patrick Queen for three downs, that they're, uh, they have him on the field for every third down. All the snaps he took off in this game were first or second down. You with me, Gordo? I am just trying to switch to... Uh... I'll give you power room for my power room for my phone on the Wi-Fi. Um, for some reason, my Wi-Fi is deciding it's not. Uh, All right. Well, we'll continue. Your 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 recording hopefully will be okay um, and not lost sync. That could be a problem we have from time to time. Uh, I'll note the time so we can have Josh fix it if it needs to be done. Um, but anyway, uh, the Ravens for for whatever reason have not chosen to take Patrick Queen off the field on third down and replace him and they have taken him off for some first and second downs and occasionally that's meant Harrison is in there with Bynes for two um, uh, or that they even have Clark in there for a dime look uh, on earlier downs um, so they, they have other alternatives you know this team with their with their safety core is a is one that 
you know, if you're going to find a solution, I think that's where it has to come from. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think there, there's opportunities for them to develop those things as the season goes on. I think as well, you know, I'm possibly being a little bit critical when I think back to how they, they kind of changed his role a little bit last season, but it's a new defensive coordinator, so that might be something that's going to take five, six weeks before they start to adjust. And the fact that we saw him miss some snaps this week, unless there was you know, some minor injuries that I missed, nope. probably shows that you know they're, they're starting to realize some of those things as well. Yeah, he, he had spread snaps, and they were all of a certain type, meaning first or second down. He didn't come out from passing down, so there's no doubt about it. It's not injury-related. It's, it's uh, uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, I, I do want to, I, I want to say my positive thing for the game for Patrick Queen that, that I think was really important is he did a great job stepping in front of that pass to break on the pass and be in a position intercepted. He did the, you know, he did the first half of what was important on that play. Um, not finishing is really, really a bummer. But if he can break on a pass and get himself more opportunities that type, you know, he he could be valuable. Um, unfortunately, that's not really where the issues have come with him because it wasn't a between level two and level three pass that I always say. It's, it's right behind there. You know, zone defenses have enough trouble as it is trying to keep track of of what's going on and, and with the large holes that they present. And when one of your guys doesn't really know where any receiver is behind him, he hasn't like kind of figured it out from the line of scrimmage. Um, that's a problem. And, and and Patrick Queen is is a much better man coverage guy, obviously, than he is his own guy. Yeah, yeah. Any any time you're kind of freeing up effectively, you know, five to ten yards in that region behind you, whereby you're not you're not able to adequately cover it. Um, it's just it's creating a, a relatively huge hole in the defense. All right, well, let's uh, let's move on to the next part of the show, which was we talk about individual players. And so we're going to alternate here. And uh, Gordon, you're the guest. Why don't you pick the first player you want to talk about? And I'll get my list up so I have that ready. So I, I want to talk a little bit about Kyle Hamilton for, for two reasons. Now, one, much maligned mm-hmm. first couple of weeks, even preseason. And the thing that worried me a little bit was that it's almost like he's not quite ready for... NFL play speed in that he's kind of judging angles a little bit poorly. Um, didn't play as many snaps this week, but had the huge impact play on defense. But he also played really well on special teams. He had a, a great play on special teams where he shrugged the blocker off, threw the blocker to the ground. Don't know if he quite made the tackle or was just like in amongst the pile as it happened, but chucked the blocker to the side. And then he had two double team blocks, one on a punt return, one on a kick return both that were relatively key blocks to to long returns. So for a guy who a lot of questions were being asked of and obviously had had a very tough week um, last week, I, I thought rebounded in the limited limited availability he had to, to make an impact. And, the, and the, you know, the forced fumble was great. It was a, wasn't was a lucky forced fumble. He mm-hmm. tracked that down and he went for that ball and, and forced it free. Yeah, outstanding club, and and it, it, it a lot of times people don't understand like the difference between the punch out methodology, but but you definitely see it with Humphrey, who's just you know got a baseball bat, like I often say, is if you punch that ball hard, a football reacts differently to that in terms of how it hits the ground. So even if you spike it towards the sidelines, sometimes that or or near the sidelines, you got a good chance to get that bounce that that ends up being right. Uh, we we obviously we, we're going to talk about Marcus Peters in this segment, but unbelievable, you know, interceptors recovery of the football on the ground there. Yeah, yeah. I just I, it was when I saw it live. I 
I, I didn't think he'd I didn't think he'd caught it. Um, I didn't, or not caught it, but I didn't think he'd recovered it in bounds. And then when you saw the replay, it was pretty clear that he'd secured it fast enough that he was well in bounds when, when it happened. So uh, that was a great play. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was uh, happy to see Hamilton play. Hamilton is another guy that they reduced his thing. They didn't play any big nickel in this game. But of course, the, 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 the New England didn't really present them with the opportunity to play big nickel with a bunch of 12 personnel or, or a bunch of 21, which is the other way you, you can get there. But it's mostly 12 is, is what big nickel is really made for. So the only time Hamilton's getting get on the field in a game like that is, is in the dime. And they played a fair amount of dime. He's on for all those snaps, of course, as well as the three-quarter snaps. Um, I, I like that they layer his responsibilities in that way or they have an opportunity for layered development that way because I think um, he's got another set of different, if not as difficult, and I don't know if it might be more or less, when he's on uh, in 12 personnel. And they've shown a proclivity to play him all over the field, even though... You know, a lot of people would tell you he'd probably be better close to the line of closer to the line of scrimmage. Yeah, it's certainly at this point in his development as well. Um, and yeah, that I thought I felt it was interesting the first couple of weeks. It didn't really feel like there was much in the way of training wheels um, mm-hmm. for Kyle Hamlin. It felt like you're part of this defense. This is what we're asking for you. So let's see what you've got. And then this week it felt and and maybe you're right. Maybe that was more driven by. The, the personnel the Patriots had, and that'll probably we'll probably see that a little bit more in the upcoming week if that's true. Um, but yeah, just he made the most of the opportunities he had. Didn't have like the the only small complaint I could have is that I think his hips were a little bit stiff on that that reception that um, right before the field goal. But as you touched on, it's not really a you know you're not really putting your defense in position for success in that play anyway. So it was only a, a small complaint. All right. All right, that's a great one. Let's talk about, hmm, I'll, I want to talk about Peters, I think, because I, I, for my money, this was Peters' best game as a Ravens, as Peters' best game as a Raven. Uh, three turnover-worthy plays. You know, he's, he stripped the ball. Uh, he had the interception. And what am I missing? Because he had another component of a turnover. Uh, the fumble recovery. Yeah. <laughs> we just talked about it. <laughs> uh, but it wasn't just that. I mean, Peter's, you know, one of the problems has been, you know, the, the, the getting beat deep has been an issue. Last week, the long touchdown down the right side, I'm still not 100% sure whether that should have gone to Hamilton, that, that he coming from middle third of what appeared to be cover three should have been some help, or it was just Peter's getting beat over the top, which it did kind of seem to be. One thing I look for is to see how emotional Peter's gets after the play. Peter's wears it all on his sleeve. So if he gives up a big reception, turns, often slumps shoulders, walks directly to the sideline, doesn't talk to anyone. It, when, when he is supposed to get help and doesn't get it, he lays into that guy. He'll have something to say. He'll, he'll, he may bob his head like, really? You're supposed to be there kind of thing? <laughs> uh, Humphrey is the same on the other side. I think it's good for accountability in the secondary to see that happen. I also do get tired of, of these guys continuously doing it to Patrick Queen. You know, I, I, I don't want to, I really don't want to keep seeing that. Um, but, and, and some of it is, I, I, I don't think it's helping Patrick Queen at this point. I think he really yeah. feels, he feels beat on. I think he does much better with the LJ Fort style, which is talk to the guy, give him a low five. It's obvious something got said. It's not obvious that, that, you know, it's, it's, uh, um, punishment's not the right word. What is it? Uh, you know, 
negative just, yeah yeah like, neg- negative feedback yeah. it's not it's not yeah. obvious that, but but anyway uh it's it's uh it's it's something in peter's case on the long touchdown against miami he didn't show any indication of that so i don't think that was hamilton's guy to help with the guy who who did and i i, I don't know if you guys have changed it because i know you guys review your grades um quickly but hamilton was pretty clearly responsible to me on the 60 yard pl60 to hill and here's how i know is that before the play, you can see Hamilton come up to the left side of the line of scrimmage on the from the defense's perspective. So the offensive right side. We'll go to the off- We'll call it the offensive right side because it, whoever it was had to get back to the deep offensive left side, and so it was a weird bail on the play. Williams looks at him as if he's got three heads all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden you see Williams take off. Really, it was slightly before the snap in an incredible diagonal to the deep left. Okay, didn't even come close to getting there before Hill had the ball, of course, over his head. And then at the end of the play, and all 22 just cuts it off, you see a, a, a motion like an out signal from an umpire made from, uh, from uh, uh, Marcus Williams that said, uh, you're in the wrong place. You needed to be back here. At least that's how I interpret it. But that's the kind of emotion I look for after the play to say that. Why would a player not do that? Because they have to watch that film together on the next day. So you'd think players would just blame the other player all the time. Yeah. yeah. But but if they have to watch the film the next day with these guys and they say, uh, what's that motion for? <laughs> you're you're trying to blame this guy on the field when it was your play to make? Is that what you're trying to do? It'd be a hostile room indeed. The, if the, other, the other big thing I had with that play that really frustrated me is that someone – Someone in the coaching staff just has to. There, there's a moment where you know Kyle Hamilton follows that across there, so you know at this point you've got, I think it was Jalen Armour Davis, mm-hmm. and you know he's not. Fought, and if Jalen Armour Davis was a veteran cornerback, he probably identifies that situation and goes, "Okay, yeah, I up. now don't have help. Yeah, cool, I'm going to bail." But he's a fourth round rookie, and he's not a particularly good fourth round rookie at this point mm-hmm. in time. So that's why he he doesn't do that. I don't think you can be too critical of him based based on his situation. Someone on that Raven sideline has to has to see that, or someone in a booth or something has to just time out, please. Yeah. Let's let's redo this. And that's and and I think that that's probably a credit to Miami because I think Miami realized there was an opportunity for some miscommunication by moving some things around with you know some of the rookies the Ravens are being forced to play. For, for whatever reason, I, I agree with you completely on that statement. That never gets done. First of all, the, the head coach, I believe, is the only one who can call a timeout from the sideline now in the NFL. I think that's changed. It, Rex Ryan or somebody called a timeout one year on fourth and one against the Patriots way back in 07. But, but I, th- I believe now the head coach is the only one who could call it from the sideline. Any player can call timeout. Um, and in fact, any player, can, this is not known by many people, but any player can call timeout at any time. If you're if you're carrying the football standing, you do not need to slide and call timeout. You call timeout on any spot. So if you got that one second left in the half, you call timeout right there and and kick the field goal from wherever you are. Um, but a lot of people don't know that. But the, but the but the the where the, the 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 fact that Harbaugh had to call that timeout means it had to be relayed to him. Although I'm sure Harbaugh, who was a secondary coach for one year, probably would have noticed that, right? Yeah, I think so. And. But I also think even if there was a having to relay it thing, I think there was enough time. Like as soon as soon as Hamilton starts to follow that, I think someone has to start to think something's going wrong here. Because then there was even like a little bit of communication between, between the two of them. So yeah, that was that was a big frustration for me because it was it was a play that was avoidable. Um, mm-hmm. 
as much as I say, I think Miami did a really good job scheming that up. Yeah, it, uh, it certainly is a, uh, uh, you know, it's one, of, it's one of the plays we're going to remember from this season. I'm afraid if the season in the secondary turns into the kind of mash unit we had in 2007, we're going to have to see that play. We're going to have to see the one where Peters gets beaten. Hamilton doesn't, you know, probably wasn't assigned to help, but doesn't help. Uh, we're going to see that over and over again on, you know, highlight films of how this year was a wasted year out of Lamar's career to to have the, the defense end up just all injured. Uh, yeah. The year. Yeah. Who's your next player? Uh, so I'm going to touch a little bit on the guy we just mentioned there, and that's Jalen Armour Davis. So I think the Ravens absolutely played this correctly this time in, in hooking him from the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I I didn't love him as a draft pick coming out. I thought the fourth round was a good couple of rounds too early for him. Um, and he just doesn't look ready to, to play in the NFL right now. Um, we have him with 152 yards allowed, which is the 21st most Holy by a cornerback in the NFL this year. He's hardly uh, played. Yeah, <laughs> that was my next point. 32 coverage snaps, which is 112. He's got the lowest coverage grade of any cornerback with 30 plus snaps. And, you know, he was bad enough at the start of this game that, and that, you know, he could he could have been well over 200 yards in the year if they'd played him any longer in that game, I think. Right. Um, and I, I think to the point you were just making there, that's where the concern is because this is a team that in previous years were very deep at cornerback. And, you know, I, the years where they had Anthony Everett as CB4, mm-hmm. so a, a nice year to have when you had that much depth at cornerback. Any, any injuries to... Um, Humphrey Peters at this point a little bit more of a concern you know um, and who they're going to have to play because then Jalen Armour Davis I think is going to have to have to play a lot more Um, and that's why I think the Kyle Fuller injury you know mattered so much yeah I mean I'm not a big five Kyle Fuller fan I didn't think he came here with much left in the tank but he did show us interception and another play on the football during the preseason which looked good it's at the beginning of a game so Whoever was the best choice for the other teams out there was probably out there at the time, but it's still nobody great. You know, it's yeah. not a it's not a starting quarterback. Uh, so I, I thought that was good, but my problem with Fuller is Fuller is an outside corner, and he didn't really prove himself in the slot last year in Denver. In fact, was benched twice in Denver last year, and he he's a player who, if you're really expecting him to come and play the slot, I think it's a fool's errand. If you're coming him to expecting him to be the the your backup Jimmy Smith type player who comes in and bails you out on the outside when you absolutely need it, I'm okay with that. I think you overpaid for it, but I, th- I was okay with that. In terms, of, But what that forces you to do then is you have to move Humphrey back to the slot, accept less value from Humphrey uh, in that. And I, I just I haven't been a fan of that. So I, I really didn't like the Kyle Fuller signing. I didn't like it even more when I heard the price. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's fair on the price. And, you know, it's even less with the benefit of hindsight now, even even worse when, you know, you, you have even less depth there now. Yeah, it's not, that wouldn't be fair, but but I, I, I'm a bitter, bitter man and maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm, I'm doing that as well. Okay, so you, was that your guy talking about Armour Davis, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I want to talk about Demarion Williams a little bit. Pepe, I thought, um, I really think he's the he's the third best corner on the team right now. I I don't like what's happened to Stevens here. I don't think I, unfortunately, you know, he played on the at, on the back end of safety. Didn't play that well last year, in my opinion. He played on the boundary this year. Has not really looked good, obviously so far. 
uh, does not find the football well. Uh, and I, I just, I, I have total problem with that. He did happen to get that no-look PD uh, in this game. But I, like, I do like Pepe. And I, I think what I what I've like about him probably more than other things is that he plays bigger than his size in terms of being able to reach across a defender. So normally, in, in the draft, I really value length at corner. Uh, but Pepe plays plays longer than his length. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right. Uh, fourth round, too high for you and for him? Maybe like a little bit, but not... Again, I didn't have the same issue there that I had with the, the Jalen Armour Davis pick. And I think you can see you can see the potential there and you can see a player I I, I agree with you. My my next my next guy to mention I was gonna lean negative again is just I I know a lot of people like Brandon Stevens. I just don't really see it so far. Um the uh the 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 um pass breakup I think was good because he reads the receiver and he knows mm-hmm. where he can um have his arm but there's just times where he just loses players and you know in that same game a couple of penalties in the season now given up by a good chunk of yards things about 80 yards in the season so far so um i i don't think you're wrong when you say at this point that pepe williams um realistically is probably the third best cornerback in that roster it's really a shame because um brandon stevens may join a list of corner uh, not a list of cornerbacks a list of defensive players who've been asked to play, and you know, you can go with this, the offense too, who, who development may be stunted by being asked to play multiple positions. So Stevens obviously started his career off as a safety. If he started off as a slot corner, as an outside corner, whichever was the appropriate position, I actually think outside corner is it, by the way, um, that if he's going to succeed, that's probably where he does it. Um, but he's, he's got to play that from day one. You, you know, he lost a year developmentally in a sense by not really playing corner as a rookie. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a, a darn shame to lose that and then not know where you are. But, you know, you look at Kamalai Correa, same thing, an inside-outside linebacker. Tyree Phillips at guard and tackle. Um, so many of these guys are, are, lose their value because you can't just find a single position for them and let them excel there. Yeah, yeah, and I, I agree with you absolutely on, on where Stevens fits best. I think even just uh, physically how he's set up, Outside cornerback is generally what fits his skill set. Don't love him in the slot. Love him even less at safety. Um, and that just... It, it just felt like a complete waste. And like you said, you waste that development trying to trying to get him to play safety. Um, and you're now in a position whereby, at this point, I don't know that he has the confidence um, to play any spot, which is makes it a little bit more difficult. Now, he's, he's still young, so there is still the opportunity for some development there. But... That would be my concern. Uh, one of the nice things, and I say that it's not really a nice thing, is there'll be some forced development opportunities this year. Between Armour Davis and Brandon Stevens, you can bet that those guys are going to see significant playing time by either choice or circumstance as the year goes on. So the Ravens, you know, hopefully with some big leads, um, they'll be able to get him in the way they got Averett in as a rookie for about 65 snaps. You know, you're, you, they, can, they can at least get him that kind of amount of play He'll continue to practice at corner. And, you know, the year developmentally should have some value. Armour Davis, I think probably the same thing. But let's face it, there's no way these three cornerbacks they've got are, are going to be, remain healthy for the entire year. If they do, it would be one of the really big upsets of this season. Yeah, it, it would be luck favoring the Ravens on the injury front, which it really hasn't done for a good couple of seasons now. 
Okay, so Stevens was your guy, right? Who do I want to talk about? How about Mr. Marcus Williams? Uh, completely worth the contract through three games. I thought looked great again. Um, one of the things that I noticed so much with him in town now is that bracket coverage shows up as bracket coverage. And, and I like... I like when cornerbacks are able to go loose bracket or tight bracket. So with, with Deshaun Elliott, it was always um, guided missile to the midsection ribcage of the receiver with no concern for going for the football. With uh, Marcus Williams, you see some of both. And he nearly took the receiver's head off, of course, in, in this game, which is a which is good way to dislodge. Uh, that was uh, Parker, right, from the football? Yep. Um, but... but the other times he's been very good about maintaining that kind of loose bracket and playing for the overthrow and, and making plays on the ball, including some difficult, difficult interceptions in that second game. Yeah. I th- what he's shown in the ability to do multiple things, to be that physical guy, to be the guy that can just close things off on the back end. I realistically might be playing the best football of any safety in the NFL three mm-hmm. weeks, three, three weeks. And the Ravens are paying him what the 10th most or something like that. Per safety, um, it's way below what Minka Fitzpatrick's getting. It's way below what Derwin James is getting. Way below what Jamal Adams is getting. Obviously, very different styles mm-hmm. of safety there with those two. But and this, a lot of people spoke about this in the off season. The Ravens, from a roster management side of things, kind of took advantage of some um, some inefficiencies in the rest of the NFL, and it very much looks like they've got you know a top of the market player for a you know maybe top third market salary instead of instead of top two or three. Right. No, I, I agree. I mean, you, you look at what the Ravens did a wide receiver, obviously. The Ravens passing game is not suffering for the lack of an impact wide receiver. They've, they've been beaten by some, so they might say, oh my God, we could have him. But the truth of the matter is there's only so many targets to go around for the Baltimore Ravens. And most of them are taken by either Andrews or Lamar scrambling. And then you've got, you know, a few other targets to go around. And people are already concerned this last week that Rashad Bateman was not getting a target. Yeah, um, and that's that, that's what it's going to be in Baltimore. Like this, all offseason, everyone spoke about, you know, like, oh, the Ravens have lost their wide receiver one. No, they haven't. Because in this offense, Mark Andrews is wide receiver one. I know he's a tight end, but... He is the the focal point of the passing attack. I thought it was really interesting, and the commentary picked up on it on Fox in this game. The Patriots are normally very good at taking away what you do best on offense, and I think the last couple of seasons they haven't been quite as good there because they're not they're not as strong a team, and not just because they no longer have Tom Brady. The two players who hurt the most on the Ravens' offense were Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson, mm-hmm. and then days gone by. Even even the the um, rain game a couple of years ago, where the Patriots mm-hmm. beat the Ravens, they they made life very difficult for them and took away those things. Uh, and I think a big part of this game was the fact that the Ravens, you know, they couldn't slow the the two of those players down. Yeah, Daryl Johnson on Fox, really good job. And and you know, we obviously we get the uh, CBS crew. Almost every week, right? you, you know, only occasionally have a Fox game. But uh, this, I don't know. I don't even know why this was switched. But I know they were doing some of that this season. There, there was another AFC, AFC game. game. Another AFC yeah. game I saw this week, and I can't remember which one it was. And it was switched. Hmm. And uh, yeah, because I'm used to it being AFC team at home to the NFC team as Fox. Or it certainly used to mm-hmm. be. I don't know if they switched that because I used to just associate it with under Harbaugh. You could pretty much guarantee a late November, early December game where the Ravens would smack an NFC opponent at home and it would be on Fox. And 
I, I say, you know, routinely, probably happened two or three times and it just stuck in my memory. Well, they had great record against the NFC, that's for sure. In fact, Lamar Jackson had a chance and he didn't complete it because he didn't finish out last year, but he had a chance to beat all 32 teams already. Yeah. And he, only, he only missed by two. But they, they, didn't, they didn't beat Green Bay. And there's another AFC North team or NFC North team that they didn't beat. But those were the last two that, that he needed to finish it off against. But that tells you in his first four seasons, yeah. they obviously pretty much swept the NFC. So, uh, uh, yeah, who were we talking about? This is Marcus Williams when, when we uh, when talked about this originally. There's one other thing that I noticed in this game that I thought was a good thing, a good change from McDonald, is that he was playing Williams on the back end much more. And the first couple of weeks, they brought him up to blitz some. They obviously had him up on the play where Hamilton uh, kind of betrayed his own responsibility. I, I don't want to put it so negatively, but he, but he failed in his responsibility deep left against Tyreek Hill. Uh, th- those, I think they maybe have consciously decided, look, we need Marcus Williams on the, on the back end too much to bring him up. And it, it's also possible that this was a game where looking for unforced errors when you're fishing for unforced errors you want to you want a hell of an angler on the back end to uh to take care of business yeah I, i'm really interested to see how they how they shape up this week in terms of how does that game plan change because it definitely felt like we're gonna we're gonna try and slow down your offense and let you make some mistakes whereas mm-hmm. provided that josh allen is healthy it's not really an offense that I think you can sit and wait for mistakes. You're going to have to try and force a couple of things to, to try and make some plays there. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I, I don't know what they run now in Buffalo on a regular basis, but they played a lot of 10 in the last three years or so. And if if the Buffalo Bills decide to run 10 personnel, God help the Baltimore Ravens <laughs> because they are not they are not set up. 10 personnel requires really a four-corner dime to play against it. So you, you pretty much have to go with that on a play-by-play basis. If, the, if, they, if they want to shuttle in four wide receivers, uh, I, you know, it's, it's going to be very difficult for the Ravens to find a way to cover four receivers, uh, even with their, the, you know, the quality they've got in terms of uh, depth and safety. Um, I, just, I, I don't actually know how they'd even approach it. I guess they'd, you know, that we'd, we'd see one of Armour Davis or Stevens come back to be that fourth guy, but you're also having to move somebody in the slot maybe that ends up being Humphrey just it's all options seem to kind of suck under that circumstance yeah you're and the flip side is if you're if you're Buffalo going into that game looking at where the Ravens are weak knowing that you know defense in the NFL so often is a a weak link group trying to force the Ravens to play Jalen Armour Davis or Brandon Stevens Mm -hmm. or both if there's one injury in that secondary just feels like a, a huge matchup opportunity for them yeah Absolutely. Uh, your turn. Uh, yeah, final one. Um, I'll go a lean positive this time. Final one for me. I I just thought that that was the that was the perfect Marlon Humphrey game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked about it earlier. The the physical tackle on on fourth down, and you know, as soon as he met the receiver, all all direction was back the way. Um, the interception I thought was just a really smart play as well. Gets his hands on the receiver within the distance that he can get his hands on him, and then just you know knew that that's where Mac Jones was going to throw the ball and just goes and makes the play. And I, you know, I I don't think he gets appreciated well enough within the best cornerbacks in the NFL because I because I think the asking him to play in the slot a little bit in the past um, a couple of years has kind of made people not think he is a, a shutdown corner. I I think he is 
top five cornerback in the NFL when he's on his day and now that he's healthy again, um, provided they can they can keep him in a role that allows him to, to be successful, I, I think he is going to show everyone again. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I agree with everything you said. I mean, I it just I, I love the fact also that he's playing back on the outside, and as much as they can within the within the precepts and limitations that they have, obviously on this defense, I'd like to see them really manage his snaps this year. Uh, try and get him out of the game as early as possible when they can. Uh, he's obviously dealing with some sort of a groin injury uh, right now, and he played all the way through it in this game. Only missed, might have missed one snap. Uh, yeah, I think he missed one, and Peters missed three. Uh, both of those guys are probably at a good point to be pitch counted. I know Marlon's still a young guy, but he's he's too important, and he's and he's got a little bit of of uh, uh, injury problem right now. I'd really like to see them manage his snaps and take less risk at the end of games with him. Yeah, and you know, hopefully they can get into a point where, and I don't think this is going to be weak to do it, but some of the games coming up in their schedule should be games whereby they can build some leads. And at that point, they can start to, you know, let let some other guys get some snaps. All right. Um, trying to see if we've got anything in the film study mailbag that we should be handling. And we have covered a lot of it, including a lot of the offensive questions. So let me just see if there's anything else. That, okay, here's a great comment from Dirk Schwank. He says, I'm hoping JPP has some juice left. The, the, t- the turnovers were welcome, but Calais Campbell can't last at this pace. And the D is giving me PTSD with the inability to get conventional stops. Great points. Yeah, uh, all great points. Uh, I want to be optimistic uh, about what you can get out of JPP. Um, he had about thirty pressures last year on four hundred and fifty odd snaps. Oof. Uh, yeah, year before far better, up about sixty sixty five total pressures that year. So. I just I, I think people think of Jason Pierre Paul and they think of the guy those first five seasons in the league. Um and even even some of his, his seasons like in the last few years, the sack numbers kind of told a lot of the story for where his pressure was. I think he was good at finishing pressure, not necessarily as consistent at generating it um across the board. So don't get me wrong though, in the position the Ravens are in on the edge. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure there's many there's many better options. Yeah, I I wasn't upset about the signing, and it appears this is done in the most highest leveraged way that they're going to pay him a million now, and the rest is an NLTBE bonus. But every additional dollar they spend out of 2023 on this team has me really concerned. I, I don't like a lot. I don't like overdoing it any time, but they've got to sign Lamar Jackson, and when they do it, they'll ha- they actually will have a big windfall in the year in the first year of his contract. But it, it'll still you know, put all the more pressure on that relatively limited pool of fungible dollars they have uh, that they can use as a credit card for next year. And, and right now, they are down to what they were last year in terms of scrapping for the last available dollars on their salary cap in order to sign players, in order to maybe have less than 51, or sorry, less than 53 on the roster in a particular week, which they played that game some last year. Um, uh, you know, every, every additional injury is costing them effectively an additional $1 million or somewhere between 700000 and a million, depending on how you get. Don't even talk to me about trying to go out and get a guy who might start at $3 million and go up from there, $3 million guaranteed. There's no room for somebody like that. But the, but the, you know, the, the other 
you know, the other options they have, every single one is expensive. You know, losing Stephen Means in week two after he's played one snap and, and you know, you've got a salary for the year now. Uh, that's very costly for this team. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that what I thought was interesting on a, on a kind of similar note when you think about where they're going to be in the coming years, I thought it was interesting that they double dipped a little bit in the draft this year at tight end, at cornerback. And the, what I took from it was less about trying to necessarily find starters there, but wanting to find guys who can be complementary players three, four years from now in their third and final years of their contracts, who can be the top depth player at tight end. You know, Isaiah likely being tight end two in this roster, or Charlie Kohler. And then the two cornerbacks that we talked about, one of those guys being the third best corner on this roster, so that you're not having to spend that extra money on those players. And that's that that's where the Ravens have to have to find players through the draft in the next couple of years. It's not it's not always about in the draft finding star players. Sometimes it's about getting those guys and you look at the, that 2019 Ravens team. A lot of players on that roster were later round draft picks who were filling a role rather than being stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they they rebuilt several positions on defense during the season, which is just impossible to do, frankly. But they, they went out and they got two defensive linemen. And you know, a lot of people don't even remember Justin Ellis and D'Amato Pecco, but they were huge players for that team that year. They went out and got two inside linebackers. You know, Josh Bynes and LJ Fort reformed that inside linebacker group, which had, which had failed with Peanut to start the year. You know, they, the, the ultimate Peter principal inside linebacker. It's not Patrick Queen. I mean, the, you know, he was drafted into that position. Peanut was an undrafted rookie. He played reasonably well as a platoon corner. In fact, very well as a platoon corner in 2018. And then in 2019, they gave him the green dot to start the season for no other reason than they didn't have anybody else. And they'd always had the green dot at inside linebacker. Well, that lasted a half. And then Eric Weddle took it, <laughs> took it over. And then from there, it went to Jefferson. And from there, finally, to, to its current spot with, with Chuck Clark. Uh, and and uh, Owasa had a reduced role in 2019. And then, of course, he was gone in, in, uh, in 2020. But uh, the Peter principle, you're always promoted to one level above where you can actually be effective. <laughs> uh, that couldn't, was never more true than, than, for, uh, than for Peanut. You know, great, good Raven. Uh, it was a great player in his platoon role. Just really didn't like him as a three-down linebacker. Yeah, yeah, I think that's entirely fair. All right, got one more comment on here that I want to I want to read. So Spencer Peterson, thanks for saying. Does the offensive holding seem to be completely de-emphasized by this officiating crew? I think we hit on it a lot. Yeah, yeah, a lot. I I honestly I cannot stress enough. I I hate being the guy to complain about officials. I used mm-hmm. to do it when I was far younger, and in older age, I'm just like, if you if you give you know officials you know, ticky-tack calls that they're going to call it one way or the other and this was a game whereby i was like oh no that's a hold that's a hold that oh we're not calling holding okay cool. <laughs> <laughs> i i you know we go through the, we go through games and we have uh individual comments and i, I scream at the tv set a lot i'm, I'm a normal fan at home at, at the game too in terms of cursing a lot and whatnot but uh <laughs> boy uh yeah, we have to put the dogs in the cellar. Let's just put it that way. They get, they get too upset when they when they see more of me watching football. Uh, Gordon, great talking football with you. I, I absolutely lovely having you on. I think we have you for one more show on the offense at some point during the season. I think so. Yeah, I can I, I need to check. Okay. I need to check back our messages. But um. if if we don't, we'll get you for one. I hope anyway. 
So uh, thanks for spending all this extra time. Anyway, one more time, you're at PFF underscore Gordon. That's it. Where else can they find your work or your, your, your current responsibilities as the media guy? Yeah, so uh, currently head of social media. Um, so literally all my work is, uh, in fact, even at this point, it's it's rarely me that's actually sending the tweets. It's the, the great team of people I've got um, alongside me. So um, my work these days is what I tweet out myself, which is just the occasional stat or point, and, uh, and then a lot of behind-the-scenes work. Well, thanks so much for joining us again. Other folks out there, if you'd like to uh, come on to a film study short with me, hit me up with a DM on Twitter looking for a 25-minute topic, and I really mean it, wink, wink, that you can keep it <laughs> to, to that length. But I, I love all sorts of analytics topics. In particular, Gordon, we've had a number of the PFF interns on to show their work, and that's just been really cool. I'm, I'm glad that PFF's been as open and allowing of that. I think that was Eric's doing uh, uh, probably uh, in, in terms of that, but uh, really have always appreciated talking to people like uh, Tage Seth and uh, Arjun Menon. Yeah, uh, yeah, but I, I, and that's probably Eric's legacy as he as he leaves P- PFF in the in the coming weeks is uh, he he really built a really strong group of interns who have been encouraged to go out and looking at things like perfectly cl- covered plays and all those things they've done that in all honesty I'd never even thought about and these are people who are you know multiples levels smarter than I am who are able to come up with these things. It's all, all making good use of the Department of Labor's relatively stringent guidelines on the use of interns. <laughs> but, no, these guys are still at Michigan is, is, the, is the funny thing and, and they're, they're just outstanding. Uh, Gordon, thanks again for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.